Welcome to Live the Fuel, where we fuel your health, business, and lifestyle. And now your host, Scott Mulvaney. All right. Good day. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another Live the Fuel show. So I'm excited today. I'm always excited, actually. I don't know why I keep saying that, but almost three years of podcasting, and I'm still excited to be here and uh, annoying your earlobes. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I've got another new guest co-host for you. And obviously on this show, I remind you for the newer listeners, we're here to fuel your health, business, and lifestyle. So I have a feeling we're going to easily hit on the healthy lifestyle balance components, uh, but your new guest co-host today might understand some of the newer journeys of entrepreneurial pursuit. So let me give you a quick little skinny on her. Personal trainer, bodybuilder, internationally published model. There's a new one. And she runs her own personal training business, Blind Fury Fitness. That's right. Blind is the key word for today. Shout out to Maxwell Ivy, the blind blogger himself, for hooking us up. But anyway, Blind Fury Fitness actually provides one-on-one personal training as well as online training plans, meal plans, et cetera, which is getting more and more common nowadays, but I think it's important to be able to target your market, and maybe we'll talk about that a little bit, because guess what? Here's something else I love about her. She understands something about psychology, because she also has a master's degree in counseling psychology. I only minored in psych, and I love geeking out about that on this show as well, and in addition to a bachelor's degree in psychology and sociology. So she is healthy, she is fit, and she's a bit of a mindset geek, I have a feeling. So without further ado, Brittany Culp, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah. Well, I uh, love the psych background. So got to just dive into that right away. Did you always plan on doing psych or did you just kind of stumble across that? Because I stumbled across mine. So <laughs> Hell no. So it's actually like really funny. Um, when I was younger, I kind of wanted to be an artist. Uh-huh. Uh, but when my vision started going to shit, that was kind of like, mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. and you do have some very nice ink. So people listening to this who don't follow it on the YouTube, I always publish all these shows on YouTube and she's got some nice, uh, 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 they're not full sleeves, are they? No, they're half sleeves. Half so sleeves. down to the elbow. Yeah. yeah. There you go. I never went with the sleeves. My stuff's on my back, on my ribs, you know, so, uh, it, I could cover it up a little bit more, I guess. So I just never went to the arm route. I don't know. Whatever. I have I have a I have a very large phoenix on my back. So, well, there, so what I'm what I'm hearing is you still have room. You still have. Oh, there's always room. <laughs> you it have just, options. It just so happens that that my wife's not a fan of ink, and I'm like, well, she's like, you have more ink than any guy I've ever dated. I'm like, and you married me, so I'm gonna get some stuff added <laughs> sooner or later. I'll just wear you down. <laughs> yeah, but it's so the art, I, right? I, it's the art. I, yeah, I mean, I think they're becoming more common now. Um, cause like, I feel like if I would have gotten these half sleeves, say even six years ago and tried to go into psychology, like nobody would have wanted to hire me. But when I did my student internship hours, when I was getting my master's, like they didn't even realize I had tattoos until like one month in because I was always so covered up. Cause I was mm. like, I don't know how they're going to act like, you know, Yeah. but one day it was just so hot. And like my supervisor, I was in there having a meeting with her and I was like, do you mind if I take off my jacket? And she just looked at me like, no, why would I mind? And I took it off and she's like, I didn't even know you were that tatted. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> she's like, you know that you don't have to cover those up, right? And I was like, well, now I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, how, what year was that? That was 2017. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I mean, I, my first piece was, I mean, I'm, God, I'm 41 now. I'll be 42. And I think I got my first, I had, my, had a Celtic cross down my spine. That was probably, I was like 22. 
And that was only because I was bouncing at a bar while I was paying my way through college. And like the, the local tattoo shop people were regulars. So I did the whole, you know, hookup, you know, I've never paid retail for some ink. <laughs> so, uh, it's how I live my life. I tell people all the time, whether it be pro deals on athletic equipment, mountain bikes, road bikes, it's like, dude, if you want to really afford like an Epic lifestyle, find the hookups. <laughs> it makes things so much easier. <laughs> Yeah, you're like the extreme couponer, but for <laughs> yeah, like I hate couponing. I'll never do it. I, I tried doing that once. Like I had like somebody gave me a coupon, and then I went and bought it, and I forgot to take the coupon. And she's like, "Why did you? Why didn't you use a coupon?" I'm like, "Cause I'm not a couponer." And she's like, "Yeah, but you're all about the you know the pro deals and stuff." I'm like, "That's different." You, you, you there's get, a there's you, a fine line. Yeah, you get a verbal yes. You show up and you get you get ink instead of paying a grand. You pay like four hundred. I mean, that's that's my kind of tattoo. So. Yeah, so I didn't ever really plan to get into psychology. I wanted to be like a photographer for a while there, but like with my eye condition, it basically gets worse as I get older and there's no really, uh, there's no way of gauging like how bad it's going to get. Mm -hmm. You kind of just go with the flow. So once I realized, like once my vision got so bad that I couldn't read anymore and I was like learning Braille, I was like, I don't think I can do photography or much art unless I want to be like a sculptor, which I didn't. So, <laughs> so I didn't even realize I wanted, was interested in psychology until, um, I went to this blindfold training facility when I was 18. Yeah. I turned 18 right after I graduated high school. So before I went to college, cause I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do with my life. Oh, it's okay. Um, Most of us don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, it was like times 10 because then I was like, I don't even feel like I have the skills to be independent in college. You know what I mean? Um, so I went to a blindfold, um, training facility and basically Monday through Friday, eight to five, you were blindfolded and learning how to operate the world as a blind person. So how to get around the big city. This was in Austin, the capital of Texas. I've never even heard of that. I mean, it makes perfect sense, but yeah. So people who are losing their vision, um, and want to be prepared for the inevitableness of it, usually go and get that kind of training. Um, what do they call it? So just blindfold courses? Or blindfold, bl- just blindfold training. Oh, okay. um, so you learn how to get around the big city with a cane. Uh, you learn how to cook, clean. You learn about all the different assistive technology out there, and they kind of assess what you're going to need. So like, if your goal is to go back to college, well, then, of course, you're going to need to learn how to use a screen reader. Um, you're going to need to learn about um, what options there are for getting your books in like accessible formats and things like that. Um Hmm. Yeah, so they, they, you learn a lot of stuff, too. So there's even, like, adults who lost their sight, like, later in life and are having to find different jobs, like like engineers. Like, yeah. you can't really be an engineer anymore if you lost all of your sight. So, you know, they're exploring new career avenues, how to live independently still, taking a different direction with their blindness. So, yeah, I basically went because I wanted to learn how to get around independently because I grew up in a very small town, like, population 3,000. Um, my graduating class was like 86 people. So I was like, how the hell am I going to get around college? <laughs> I think I know why you know Max now. Cause I think that's part of Max backstory. Like he was, you know, eventually ended up traveling with circuses and stuff like that, but he was from a very small town too, I believe, or still is maybe, I don't even, yeah, I don't think he's in a big city or anything. No, not really. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so that's how it really happened. So basically while I was there, I got to meet like all different kinds of life people, different walks of life, um, doing different things. Like even a lot of the instructors there were blind, which was pretty cool. Um, 
so one of the instructors there, I got like really close with her. She taught career guidance and she had a master's degree in psychology and mm. actually had a license to practice therapy. And she worked at like a lot of different places and she somehow ended up there, eventually left to go pursue um, counseling again, actual therapy counseling. Wow. So, uh, but I became really close to her and she was kind of like a huge mentor for me and got me interested in psychology. So when I graduated that blindfold training facility program and came back for college, um, I declared my major as psychology. And then I added the sociology on about two years in um, as a double major. And wow. then, yeah, just hustle. I like it. Liked it. Yeah. Liked it a lot. Getting after it. That's I, when you find something that you clearly have well channeling your passion into. What's 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 it a big deal if you're adding on a second major, you know? <laughs> So, yeah, well, I tell people like psychology is a study of the self and the mind, but then sociology helps with that too because sociology is the study of people and cultures, and a lot of the a lot of times the issues that we're struggling with ourselves have to do with our environment and the culture or the people that we're surrounded by. So it helps to understand other people that you're counseling if you understand that group think. Hmm. I like that. Well, I mean, it's, it is yeah. true. I mean, actually, I could see this totally now crossing over and and benefiting you with your newer fitness business because a lot of a lot of consultation is being able to communicate well, interact well, relate to you know to your target audience. Ergo, your whatever you want to call them, customers, consumers, clients, whatever. Uh, so I'm sure you're going to be able to channel that exponentially in, into your growth of your business. Yeah, well, especially when it comes to like. Um because fitness, like you said it yourself, it's a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, so for people who aren't usually into fitness and they're trying to get healthy, whether it's to look good naked, because let's mm -hmm. be for real, a lot of people <laughs> just want to look good naked. It's a good incentive. Um, it's a good incentive. Yeah. 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 So whatever your goal is, whether it's because your doctor told you you need to lose weight or because you want to look good post-baby post or because you want to get ready to do a bodybuilding competition or get ready for a cruise, just whatever it is, it's going to require – a commitment, consistency, and a lifestyle change. And if your mind isn't in it, you're not going to get the results. So yeah, like motivational interviewing, you have to do a lot with people that come in um, and kind of gauge where they're at. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like especially working out, it's as, it's mental as much as it is physical. Well, because so, there's always going to be hard days, you know? I mean, we've all had the good and bad days. Like I, I just got done trying my first ultra race on a mountain bike. I've never, one, been in my bike. I've done a lot of big bike rides. So obviously this is a different kind of fitness than what you're talking about, but it's still fitness, right? But it's like, okay, you got to be prepared to be able to be in a bike seat for at least 10 hours or more. Like, yeah, I used to teach spinning, okay, at a gym years ago. Okay, that's, you know, hour-long class. Not not the end of the world, and you're probably in and out of the saddle, you know, for an hour. I mean, it's it's spinning. Okay, now you take that and you <laughs> stick yourself into the wilderness, and you're on a mountain bike, and you're climbing and descending and going. This this went on. I, I was on my bike for ten hours last Saturday. Uh, my bike, my I think my ass went numb. At some, I mean, <laughs> I was gonna ask you, yeah. yeah. Total. I mean, and and don't worry. I mean, I've done hundred mile events on a road bike, but never did on a mountain bike. It was a it was a another a new challenge. Well, I've done, all the different <laughs> all the different terrain. Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was it was definitely not a. I mean, I should say this. It was definitely not a friendly environment uh, for a, a blind athlete, but I truly believe in uh, adaptive sports And because I used to coach ski racing. And we had an adaptive program at our mountain here in northeast Pennsylvania, and they used to bring in athletes from all over the world. And I never saw 
a blind skier before and they had, I mean, 100% blind, like there's zero eyesight left. And they had, they were following their, uh, I, I guess you want to call it their guidance coach, but they had a uh, microphone, uh, headphones, everything on. And the, the ski racer was basically following the turns of their coach in front of them through a race course, like aggressively. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Uh, that's so, fucking cool right i'm gonna have my i'm gonna have my boyfriend look up like a youtube video of that or something you got to. it's so although impressive. now he's probably gonna get ideas and be like we need to get you into it <laughs> he's probably gonna want to be blindfolded and be like i need my brother or somebody to direct i don't know this could be dangerous it's i will tell you <laughs> uh they they said you really do and maybe there's some psychology behind this you really do get a, a, a bond and a connection you pretty much have to because you're trusting well, you have to establish rapport and trust yeah yeah it's super challenging. I mean, I, I got to talk to some of the coaches, and they said it takes years, you know, to build that. I mean, some some youth athletes adapt pretty quickly. I mean, there, there was a oh god, I remember this is years ago. It's a twelve year old kid from Japan, and was ripping the course. And I'm like, who's that skiing in front? They should get out of the course. And I, I, I literally had not started working with that program yet. And I'm like, no, no, that's their coach. I'm like, why is why are they following each other? And they're like, oh, that's actually a blind racer. And I'm like, get out of here. That is awesome. <laughs> That is cool. Like, why, are, why are they playing ski tag? Right? Exactly. It's like, okay, dude, like, seriously, you guys are a little close on the course. Okay. A little close. Because you know, I'm always looking at it as, hey, I don't want anybody crashing, running into each other. And they were yeah. so synchronized. It was so cool. It was just, it's impressive. So there you go. You got something new to check out. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, try blindfolded skiing. <laughs> see, <laughs> see if your relationship survives. Well, you know, um, they, so my boyfriend actually, um, teaches Muay Thai. Wow. I'm not sure if you know who that is. Yeah. Oh, I so, know. Oh, yeah. I used to study martial arts. So Muay Thai is impressive. Yeah. So basically for people who are listening that don't know what Muay Thai is, it's basically like kickboxing mixed with punches and boxing. So basically yeah. like there's no groundwork like you see in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, there's no grappling. There's no throws. Yeah. yeah. Like you see in judo, it's, it's hands, knees, elbows, feet yeah. um i like to call that origin- like the classic fisticuffs you know it's all upper body there you know for, for, for the most part yeah right. so basically it originated in thailand well anyway in thailand apparently according to my boyfriend he showed me some videos uh when we first got together um basically they do blindfold in muay thai over there wow so you don't have to be blind but like sighted people willingly will like put on their blindfolds and step into the ring and it's weird because they lay i think it's hay Hay on the ground so that you can hear where your opponent is. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's even, he's like, it's not even so much that it's dangerous for the the fighters. It's dangerous for the ref because they can't distinguish the footsteps between the ref and the opponent. Oh, man. So if the ref isn't careful, like, he's going to get, like, knocked the fuck out. (laughs) That is awesome. See, now you're going to make me Google something. I got to go on YouTube and find that. Ref gets knocked out. (laughs) Championship fight. The hay did him in. (laughs) But that's impressive, right? That a lot of people. I mean, listen, we've talked about this before. I've had I've had Max on the show. I just mentioned you before we started the show today. I just found it. Um, The guy I was talking to you about before we started recording, his name is David Steele. Dave David Steele with an E on the end. Steele. Oh, okay. I've heard the name. Yeah. He is actually in the RP. Yes. Red Nice Pigmentosa Support Group. Yeah. He actually runs a group called Stand By Me, RP. And he's released, well, back and I recorded, I heard this uh, October last year, uh, the photo I used on his episode, he had, he has three, he, he's re- already released three books, and all the books are his inspired uh, poetry, so he's a poet. 
So he writes these poetry books, and they're all to help raise money for RP and all this. And it's really impressive guy. So, uh, but that's uh, thanks to Max and also Dave. Uh, I, I at least understand. Okay, retinitis uh, pigmentosa. I can actually say it now. Uh, now to a lot of people that are newer <laughs> to the show. We've been geeking out a little bit here. Let's help them understand a little more about what you're going through because you kind of hinted at, oh, well, you know, we watch this on YouTube. Well, then people are like, well, wait a minute. We're, we're, we're learning it from a, a blind fitness model and fitness guru, you know, like getting after it. How is she watching YouTube? So let's help them understand your condition, where you're at today. So there's different degrees of blindness. So like when people think blindness, they think like pitch black. Right. And that's like false. Um, most blind and visually impaired people still retain some sort of vision, whether it's seeing shadows, seeing blurry, or seeing, you know, at least light perception. There's only like maybe three to 4% of the blindness population that see complete darkness. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, and then it also, everybody's remaining vision will de- depend on what their, their condition is. Like, did they lose their vision because of diabetes, traumatic brain injury, um, you know, detached retinas, mm-hmm. retinitis pigmentosa, which is what I have. Um, and, you know, this, the thing about RP, as I mentioned earlier, is the progression pattern. Everybody's is different. Everybody's vision deteriorates at different uh, speeds over time. So me and Max and Dave, we probably don't all see the same, even though we have the same disorder. Hmm. So, yeah. So for me, I could see a lot better when I was younger. Um, I got diagnosed with RP when I was five. Granted, wow. when I was yeah. like one year old, they already kind of had a feeling that I had it because like when I started, basically around the time I started crawling, I was like bumping into shit. Uh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and my mom, I, my mom was probably thinking, she didn't say this, but this is what I always tell people. She either thought I was like stupid as fuck. Or, <laughs> yeah. or it's like, well, there's something it. else wrong. Yeah. Okay. There, there's something wrong with her. I don't know what it is. But <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So as I got older and they could really like send me to a specialist and confirm that it was RP, that's, that's what happened. So when I was five, I got diagnosed. And by then they were like, so she's probably going to go blind by the time she's 21. I'm 28 and I still have some residual vision. So that well, just goes to show you. What would you say you, you have left percentage wise? Um, I would, it's really hard to say because that's another thing too. You have good days and bad days, Mm. depending how tired you are. Um, The lighting, that's the thing with RP especially is like lighting has a lot to do with it. So the main thing about RP is that it's a disorder that is like destroying slash deteriorating your retina, which is the very back part of your eye Mm -hmm. that is responsible for you seeing lighting changes, details, colors, all that. Um, So I've never been able to see at night. So I have night blindness. That's like the first symptom of RP. Okay. Um, so I like at Dave night, talking about that. Yeah. So at night, like I don't see anything, but I can see street lights. So like, they just look like balls of light though. I can't see the pole that's attached to them. I was going to say, you probably get that halo effect. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, the only reason I know about that is because I had LASIK surgery when I was firefighting years ago. And I wanted to protect my eyes from the fire because I was wearing contacts and I want to melt them onto my eyeballs. So I went and got LASIK. And I remember as soon as you came out of the LASIK surgery, they said, number one, rest, sleep, because your eyes just went, had laser beams shot into them. Uh, but two, uh, <laughs> they said, you're probably in the first like day or so, uh, you won't be able to focus properly and you're going to get 
uh, night vision issues. And you're going to like, if you look at a light, it's going to have a halo effect or that glowing ball thing, and you're not going to be able to focus. So that's why I, I was like, oh man, I'm flashing back to my eye surgery. So yeah, it's like a really bad acid trip. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, I can't speak so, to that one. Um, I can't, I can't either, but I can assume. Well, from what we hear, well, from what we hear yeah, and read, we, yeah. Speculate. This is all speculation. Yes. But yes. Yeah. So that's the first sign. And then after that, it just kind of slowly just gets your, you just slowly start to be able to not see as far. So mm-hmm. I can see maybe like three to five feet in front of me on a good day. Um, but the other big characteristic of rp is what we call tunnel vision so it's like looking through a straw you don't have any peripheral vision you can't so if i'm looking straight ahead i can't see on the sides i can't see directly above me or underneath me so if i'm looking straight ahead and there's something on the ground and i don't know it's there i'm going to trip over it um so it's very limited vision so basically as you just get older that that tunnel gets narrower the distance you're able to see gets you know less and less and then your colors kind of start getting distorted too so like when i was younger around seven they realized i had trouble with distinguishing blue and green from each other yeah because it's because in your retina you have your rods which are responsible for the lighting uh your eyes being able to adjust in different lighting situations and then there's the cones which are responsible for you seeing like details so like making out faces and seeing colors and things like that so what are your thoughts on I I can't remember which podcast I did. I've had too many now. Um, we're approaching 300 shows, by the way. I'm not sure if you're going to be in in before the 300 lineup or not, but we'll find out. Uh, but somebody told me on a show they mentioned how they literally cured their poor eyesight with eye exercises. What are your thoughts? <laughs> I call bullshit. Ah! <laughs> well, I mean, so there is there is articles on this. Like okay, I, so what 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 the what the fuck are eye exercises? I don't. I, that's why I'm asking you. I was like, okay, well, I, I never bothered really digging into how it. How many but, how many sets and reps do I need to right. do of eye exercises? I mean, they, 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 I mean, this is obviously tied into other, it's not just, you know, physical things, right? You also, it's balanced with like you, yeah. hinted, you hinted at earlier, proper rest and recovery. Um, for example, like right now I'm wearing my blue blocker glasses because it's after sunset. So I don't, for example, I, I've had enough blue blocker gurus on here to talk about the, the impacts of blue light on our eyes from all the technology that our bodies were never designed to handle. So I try and block that whenever I can, you know? Uh, but yeah, I mean, they, that's, that's why I thought I'd ask quick. I was like, oh, does she know about eye exercises? Is that a thing? Um, that, okay, so that's another thing too. It may help for certain things, but it's definitely not going to help with RP because like I said, RP, your retina is, it's deteriorating. Okay. There's not going to be anything that's going to prevent that. It's an inevitable, I mean, if you want to call it a pending doom, so be it. I just I just say it is what it is. Yeah. Um, but Cause you know, that's another thing too. I hear a lot. They're like, they can't just like transplant your eyes. I'm like, that's only in the fucking movies. Like, yeah, come no. on. No, that's, that's, only, that's a legit surgery. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. The only, the only part of the eye that is uh, transplantable is the cornea. Oh, wait a minute. So, I just figured out who it was. Dr. Travis yeah. Ziegler, who is an eye doctor and he runs the not-for-profit I Love Cares. I remember him telling me that he's literally helped people improve their vision and stop wearing prescriptive eyewear with eye exercises but again to your point okay this yeah. is going to so be tied to people with basic your garden variety eye, yeah. eye problems you yeah know? not not um disorders per se 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was sharing so. a lot of other cool stuff too. He was talking about how, you know, the everybody's using Visine for dry eyes. He says it's actually very bad for you. You know, don't. I've heard that. Oh yeah. He's yeah. like, don't, don't do that. There's, there's more. He actually came out with like super healthy, clean eye drops to protect people from bad products like that. So, but I mean, everybody, again, everybody just listens to the commercials and it's like, oh, well I should buy Visine or clear eyes. And, and he's actually yeah. said, he's like, listen, he's like, if you have a dry eye condition, there's an underlying problem there. It's not the eye drops are not your answer. It's what is your hydration level, right? Like what are you doing nutritionally? So look at the rest of your lifestyle. Since we're geeking out about health and fitness today, it's like, okay, people just think, oh, I'll just go buy a bottle. Well, Eye drops didn't always exist. So how did we prevent dry eyes before eye drops? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. whether you're blind That's... or you're not blind, hydration, I think, is a little important in healthy lifestyle. Am I wrong on this? What are, you, what are your thoughts? Oh, no. I, I drink a gallon a day or more. Boom. So. There you go. Speaking of that, I haven't done any screen sharing yet, and I have to show off. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure I'll have us all tagged in the blog article. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna switch into screen share mode. So you do you, and Brittany for the listeners. Do you, you use a screen reader, right? Yeah. So I use a screen reader. It's called Jaws. Um, oh yeah. Basically, it reads anything. That I, I just is, switched. So yeah, it my screen reader actually on my phone actually told me that you did that. Oh, so that's cool. Very nice. Um, Ooh, fancy. Yeah. So I know. <laughs> da- David's David Steele's did not. <laughs> I had to do that too. So I'm actually sharing uh, one of your uh, poses, like you're all tanned out. And you're doing one of your fitness model things. This is that hump day post from July 10th. Oh, yeah. The Dorito tan. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's good. Dorito tan. Yeah. But by the way, ladies and gentlemen who can't see what I'm seeing, but I'm screen sharing on YouTube, I will, uh, you know what? I'm going to do an Instagram repost tonight to tell people that I was talking to you because I, I was trying to do that more like, hey, guys, stay tuned. This podcast is coming out. Uh, because by the way, popping the booty strong there. I mean, really good post. That's that's a nice booty. So just got to throw that out there. Um, started from the bottom. Now I got one. That's what I tell people. Cause I used to, I used to have your, like, your, like typical white girl booty. Ah, okay. <laughs> it was like nothing. It was, <laughs> it was tailbone. The white girl so, booty. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, which it, is really sad. Cause I'm actually half Mexican, but <laughs> ah, well, you know what? Hey, you don't, you never know how your genes are going to cross through. Um, but anyway, real quick, ladies and gentlemen, if you're hearing this culp Brit, so, at Culp Brit on Instagram. She's got over 6,000 followers, so people are loving your feed. So you're, you're really growing a good following. Uh, do, do you know fitness model uh, Rachel Shear? Uh, I've seen that name on Instagram before. She's got hundreds of thousands of followers, and I just recorded a new podcast with her on Friday. So um, nice. so there you go. So, so I, would, I would say, hey, study her. Because uh, she has two Instagram feeds. She's got her personal name, her brand, like you. And then she's got her brand uh, where she's really focused on nutrition. So she's actually a she, – she was so – like you. I, so I'm, I want to tie this together like because you're basically an up-and-coming, healthy, fit influencer. But you're really well-targeted towards, obviously, you know, the blind community and beyond. And that's, that's a niche that really she won't be able to tap into. I think that's something that you'll be able to really own that market. And – Anyway, the point is, is that she decided to geek heavily about nutrition and actually went to school and ended up studying and becoming a functional medicine nutritionist. So she's all about anti-pharmaceutical and helping people find that natural, clean uh, path into nutrition and helping people find, you know, the actual root causes, not just slapping a a pharmaceutical Band-Aid on it. We talked a lot about pharmaceutical Band-Aids. I'm very passionate about that crap. I can't stand it. (laughs) Yeah. What are your thoughts? I I agree. So like... 
so for me, it's like not everything is black and white. I mean, like most things in life, okay. there's a lot of gray area. So I guess for me, being on the fitness side of things with, you know, eating right, being all about good nutrition and exercise, even if it's just, you know, going for a walk in the park, if that's where, where you need to start, then so be it. You don't have to be an avid gym lifter six days a week or whatever. But I also see on the psychology side of things that sometimes that stuff can help, but it doesn't work because if it's a true chemical imbalance, some people actually need those medicines because we always talk about, oh, you're depressed, you're anxious, just start working out, go running, get that runner's high, uh, eat better. Serotonin level it'll, production. It'll mess, yeah, it'll yeah. mess with your serotonin levels. It'll help with your hormones, regulate your hormones, this and this and this. But what people don't understand, if you're like really fucking depressed, like really <laughs> depressed, like you think of those Zoloft commercials, depression hurts. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like you can't even get out of bed. If you can't even get out of bed, do you think somebody's going to go to the fucking gym? No. If you can't even get out of bed, do you think that they're going to meal prep? No. You so sometimes you do need that medicine to kind of regulate what's going on with your imbalance in your brain so that you can actually operate like a normal human being and get that shit done. So I'm glad you're bringing that up because uh, I've said this before on the show. I, I, I've become much more transparent in life thanks to podcasting and I don't hold anything back. And I think I might only mention this on maybe one or two other shows, but I had a very, very brief experience with what depression was. It was actually a post, it was a post breakup situation. This is years ago. I was in my twenties and my head was up my ass. Well, it still is it, but in a different level. And <laughs> it was, <laughs> but it was like, you know, I, I wasn't happy in my career. So I put all my effort into the relationship and then the relationship crashed and burned. And it wasn't really the relationship fault. It was really the fact that I didn't have the rest of my shit dialed. And I could say that now because I, I figured it all out. But like I, I literally was like didn't want to get out of bed, and I'm not that guy. Like I'm, I'm the go 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 energizer bunny. So there was something, you know, clearly wrong. So I went to go like speak to somebody, and then they said, well, you know, you should try taking an antidepressant. And I'm like, I'm, I don't need drugs. I hate drugs. And they said, listen, just consider it like a short kick in the ass, or you know, restart. I mean, I, I, so I, I literally, I think I used it for a month. That's all it took. I just need something to, yeah. to kick my ass out of the bed. And it was weird. It was like it was like hitting a reset switch on my chemical wiring, whatever. And obviously, it was designed to kind of kickstart my uh, my serotonin production. And then, boom, I was back. I'm back in so the gym. Who, who did, fine. You go, did you go to an actual uh, psychiatrist? What's the one that can give you the psychiatrist, right? The one that can actually okay. prescribe? Yeah. yeah. So, see, that's who people need to go to. The re I think the reason why uh, psychological, pharmaceutical drugs get a bad name is because general physicians are handing them out like candy and they yeah. don't really understand what is good for what and for how long and the dosage. So people need to bite the bullet. And even though it may cost a little bit more, your insurance may not pay for the whole thing like it would a GP. Go to a psychiatrist. That's what they specialize in because they're all about your mental health. So they don't want you to be dependent on these drugs. They right. want you to just get on them for when you need them and then eventually get off of them. So what I don't advocate for is people just going and getting on drugs and then not going to talk therapy. You need to do talk therapy and your you know your pharmaceutical drugs if they give you something for your anxiety or depression or both um Good point, that by way, the way you yes. can learn coping mechanisms to identify triggers find um av other avenues towards you know alleviating that anxiety or depression whatever it is and then eventually get weaned off of the the drugs what do you so sum up real quick when i want to pass passes that this is really important stuff um 
the, the talk therapy component. Let's talk about that real quick, just because we kind of like skimmed over it. And I think that is important because I've pre, I mean, talk therapy is at different levels, right? And we're not saying it to go do group, you know, group talks. It could just be literally you're talking to your psychiatrist and you're going one through on a ones. session. Yeah. Right? Yeah. One-on-ones. Okay. I just want to clarify that because some people can be like, oh, well, I'm not going to go do a no, group. No, no, Talk therapy. So like your groups, like usually that's for something that's like something severe. Okay. Like, so different types of groups. There are like bereavement groups. So like if you're dealing with grief from somebody dying mm-hmm. uh, that you know, or there are, you know, of course, chemical dependency groups. Uh, because at that point, um, it really does help to have support. But if you want to go and just talk to somebody and it be private and just be, be between you and your therapist, that's an option too. Um, now, group therapy sometimes is cheaper, kind of like group training. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> you know, my, yeah. my one-on-one personal trainings are more expensive than my group training sessions. Uh, but yeah, so another thing too is like, I think that uh, medical insurance is getting a lot better about making mental health counseling more affordable to people. Um, because that was the biggest determinant for a lot of people in the past was, oh, it's expensive or my insurance won't cover it. Uh, the place that I did my internship at as a student actually went on a sliding scale. So they went based off of your income. Hmm. Um, but they also accepted a lot of insurances. So you never know unless you ask. And so if you go to like an actual agency, it's usually cheaper, but if you're going to go to somebody who has like their own private practice, well then, yeah, those people are going to be a little more expensive because well. It's their private practice. Yeah, and admittedly, but, I did that because I was still working for a corporation at the time, and I had this is back. God, this is probably fifteen years ago. So it was, uh, you know, I had some pretty good solid insurance. So yeah, the one on one wasn't that big a deal. So yeah, and if if you're a student, so that's the biggest thing too, because I think that like it happens a lot, like how you said, like in the, your twenties, mm-hmm. um, you go through these like these bouts of anxiety and depression, whether it be because of breakups or because you're kind of lost in life or you just don't There's know what direction. It. Yeah. What direction your life is going. There's actually, if you're a college student, most college campuses have free counseling for students. Yeah. You know, uh, a, a great book I read back then was, uh, and the funny thing is now if you Google it or go on Amazon, there's more than one version of it. Uh, but it, I actually found a book called quarter life crisis. And I was like, am I really literally snapping? Like, what the, f-? I was like, what the fuck is this shit? And I, it was actually a really good book. I will say it was, you know, cause everybody thinks everybody has a meltdown in the midlife crisis. Well, I mean, especially nowadays, like what you just brought up, I mean, the millennial generation is pretty high strung, man. Like some people are taking shit a little bit too seriously. <laughs> I mean, am yeah. I wrong on that? No, I totally agree. I think it ha- a lot of it has to do with social media. Everybody's allowed to voice their opinion. And then at the same time, everybody thinks that since this person's voicing their opinion, that means I can argue mine. Mm-hmm. And everybody's trying to change everybody's mind. It's just like, just let them fucking be. Yeah. Let them have their, you're not going to change anybody's mind about certain. We things. have freedom of speech in our constitution because it's our right to speak. It doesn't mean you got to sit there and then counteract and create a fight out of every damn little comment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's. Uh. Definitely. But, you know, back to like the whole counseling thing, I think it gets a bad rap because people just they don't know enough about it. And on top of that, too, they're just like, how is talking to somebody really going to help me? Well, how is not talking about your problems going Mm -hmm. to help you? Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. it's better. It's better to swallow it and just let leave it deep down and then maybe manifest later. Or (laughs) or who are you talking to? Like your your sometimes, yes, your friends can be a good 
means of support. But sometimes they're just going to tell you what you want to hear. They're just going to kind of tell you to just like put it to the side. It's a phase. You're going to get over. You need to talk to somebody who's not biased and especially and has specialty specialized in dealing with these kinds of things. So especially depending on what the issue is. I got a question then for you. So because I know a little bit about psychology, you know a lot more about psychology than I do. After you learned all this stuff, and it takes a few years, but then do you eventually reach a point where your friends, like, you just pretty much tell them how it is, whether they like it or not? Because <laughs> I reached I reach that point. I'm like, you know what, guys? You're not going to like what I'm going to tell you. So I'm just, but as your friend, I'm not going to sit, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm tired of sugarcoating shit. Like, here's the deal. You, you know, pull your head out of your ass. Uh, I'm the tough love friend now. I don't know. I mean, uh, you, you're probably much more delicate than I am. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> Yeah, I, I try to be a little more delicate, but even before, honestly, before, that was another reason why I got into counseling and psychology was because I was always the friend that people wanted to tell their fucking problems to, um, <laughs> you know? Oh, <laughs> uh, so like, I know, I know. Yeah, um, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but yeah, like I, I try not to really necessarily counsel my friends because one, that's unethical, but two, True. it's just like, you got to kind of let people figure things out for themselves. Now, if it gets to a certain point where I'm like, okay, this is getting ridiculous and really detrimental, then yeah, I'm going to say something. Um, but I think a lot of times like you need to, people need to figure things out yeah. on their own. I think a lot of people things, are afraid yeah. to, and that's something I, do, I always remind my friends, my guys, like you can't keep talking to like, I have friends going through a divorce right now. Like I li- I'm literally friends with both sides of the equation, which just sucks. Uh, but I was like, guys, like just, Get it done, all right? You went from you had mediators, then you went to the lawyer thing. Now you're wasting money, and then and then, you, and then everybody's talking about it. Like just stop talking about it, or like you know, finally suck it up and go get a new counselor or something. Like you can't keep talking to your friends because we're stuck in the middle of it, and we're not here for that. We're here to be your friends. We're not here to hear both sides of the war. <laughs> it's like this yeah. is why professionals exist. Well, okay? that too, especially with couples. Cause I, okay. So when I did my internship, um, where I did my stuff, it wasn't like a specialty kind of place. Like they literally saw all kinds of, uh, people. So Mm -hmm. they saw couples, they saw children, adolescents, adults, even elderly people, um, families. So I got to experience like all kinds of populations and I was most hesitant to work with couples. And I told my supervisor that. And she's like, well, you have to at least counsel two couples during your internship here because how are you going to know if you're going to like it or be good at it if you haven't tried it? I'm just like, good point. it just seems like a lot of toxicity. Yeah. I already have enough time handling one person. I was like, I don't know. I was like, but yeah, okay, I'll try it. I wasn't as – I didn't dislike it as much as I thought, but I still knew I definitely don't want to be a couples counselor. Like if I worked at an agency where I had to have a few couples on my docket or whatever, then so be it. But my bread and butter really isn't counseling. And it's mostly because um, you just can kind of cut the tension with a knife. Like you have yeah. two people that sometimes are at the point where they fucking hate each other. Yeah. And they try to, each person tries to get you on their side. Oh, I know, right? So, you really think that I, even I noticed that as a friend. I'm like, you, if you yeah. did this to your counselors, no wonder they fired you. I mean, that's like, you're yeah. putting your counselor in the middle so, of your hell. So not, so not only are you there trying to, you know, help each person as well as help them together, because that's what they're there for. They're here, they're there so that they can function together. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but you're also trying to be Switzerland. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's rough. And it, it's a lot. So couples weren't my thing. Um, but, you know, yeah, couples counseling. And that's another thing, too. Some people are just like, oh, couples counseling, it doesn't work. <laughs> well, that really depends on, one, the therapist, because that, that's the same thing for individual counseling, too, is not every therapist is the same. Everybody does it differently. So many different approaches to counseling. Um, you have to really kind of research your therapist before you go with them and make sure it's going to be a good fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, too, couples counseling, a lot of the outcome is going to depend on, well, how willing are you to work in therapy? Is this something you're doing because you really want to salvage your relationship? Or is this something you're doing just to say that you did it? Because you already have one foot out the door. Good point. Very good point. And so, so, so outside the new fitness business, are you still obviously pursuing that passion as well? Or are you like living in both I'm, worlds? I'm trying because here's the thing. So like I graduated with my master's last year, okay. uh, literally May 2018. And then it took me a while to get my accommodation set up to take my national licensure exam, which is the exam you need to take to get your license to practice therapy. Um, So I finally got it set up and took that in October. So I got I passed it, Mm -hmm. the national counselor examination. Um, So now that I did that, I'm what you call a licensed professional counselor intern. So like, you know how like doctors, when they pass boards, they become like an intern and then they become like a resident. Yeah, you get the residents. So it's the same thing for mental health counselors, which I don't think a lot of people understand is like not anybody can just be a legitimate licensed professional counselor. Um, They've made it a lot more difficult, um, which is good. It's kind of like gatekeeping in a way, if you think about it. So... Yeah, now I'm an intern. So what that means is I can counsel people, but I have to have a supervisor, meaning I have to staff my cases with a supervisor once a week. Hmm. And I also can't um, bill insurances yet. So I can't do private practice or work at a place where they operate fully on taking insurance from people. So it's really hard right now, especially in the area where I live, which is Corpus Christi, to find a licensed professional counselor intern job because most people want to hire fully licensed counselors. Because why? They can can accept your insurances. They don't need a supervisor. Uh, You're basically a free agent at that point. So... So it's, people it's really probably hard. Wanna, you, you pretty much have to find that diamond in the rough who wants, who's willing to be that mentor and, and help yeah. you get through that, that so transition. Since, so since October, I've been trying to find um, a job in that realm or I've even started looking in bigger cities. But it's really hard because then the catch-22 to that is the ones that you can find because you have to do 3,000 LPCI hours. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, most places, even in the bigger cities, want you to have at least six months to a year's worth into your LPCI. So it's kind of one of those things like, how can I get experience if nobody's going to be willing to give me the chance? And on top of that, too, I don't really like to be a bitter Betty and say, oh, they're not picking me because of my visual impairment. But let's be for real. A lot of people do see that as a liability. And if they don't know enough about visual impairments or blindness, you're really not going to be at the front of the running pool a lot of times. Okay. I'm, I'll pull the ignorance card here for myself. Uh, last time I checked from a psychology standpoint, I think having a good ear is, is actually more important than a good eye. So if you ask, so I'll, I'll give you an example. An example. <laughs> I feel so like I you're actually, actually tuned for this. <laughs> I, 
Yeah, you would think. I actually had a, an, an informal phone interview with some place that I inquired because I saw that they were hiring and they were going to accept LPCIs, licensed professional counselor interns. So I actually emailed them. I was like, hey, I, I saw on your website that you were hiring and it's the type of agency I did my student internship at. I told them where I did my internship. Um, I was like, I'd really like to come in for an interview. So they actually called me, one of the owners, and she literally spent like 20 minutes telling me like her whole life story, which I was like, mm, okay. Um, <laughs> Interesting. And then finally she started asking me about me. And of course I didn't tell her I was visually impaired that moment because I was like, maybe Why I should just wait to? until I go, I go in for the interview. Cause you really don't have to disclose that. No, there's laws That's for that. against. Yeah. yeah. So I was just telling her about my experience and what I was looking to do. And she's like, well, we're looking for somebody full-time. And I'm like, well, that's perfect. I don't want part-time. I want full-time because I'm trying to get my hours done. And she's like, oh, okay. And then, but then she started telling me that a lot of my work would be with children, uh, three ages three to 10. And my biggest thing, so I don't know how much you know about counseling kids, but a lot of their therapy is done through play. Yeah, which is very I, I just visual. know about coaching. I don't I, coaching okay. is fine. I don't, I don't go into the counseling yeah. side. <laughs> so for, for, for counseling children, especially ages three to 10, um, they did demonstrate a lot of what they're feeling through their play. Hmm. So how they play with toys, you can tell a lot by like how a child plays as to what they're feeling inside. Because if you think about it, they're not a th three to 10. They're not going to know what depressed means. True. They don't know how to really verbalize what they're feeling. So counseling kids is very, visual um so at that point i had to tell her i had to be honest because she was uh, making it seem like 50 percent or more was going to be working with kids and then at that point it wouldn't be a good fit and it's really not what i'm passionate about doing anyway i prefer adolescents on up um so i told her well you know i wouldn't mind counseling kids but i just um at my internship i i sat in on a few play therapy sessions and it was a little difficult for me and she asked why and i said well because i am visually impaired and then she's just like well, how visually impaired? Which, first of all, you're not supposed to ask. Um, right. <laughs> but anyway, I'm an open book. So I told her um, about, you know, how much I could see. I told her about what kind of population I did have success counseling with. I even gave her names and referrals. And she was just really stuck on it. Like, so how do you counsel people? And I'm like, how do you counsel people? <laughs> Verbally and with my ears. Why? <laughs> and yeah. then she's just like, well, what do you do with nonverbal cues? And like for non nonverbal cues is basically like facial expressions. Yeah, mannerisms. Um, mannerisms and things like that. And I'm like, well, you know, you can tell a lot by like the inflection of somebody's voice. Mm -hmm. You can t hear somebody if they're uncomfortable by just the way they're breathing or the fidgeting in their chair. I can hear when somebody's smiling. Like that. Yeah. Know? Or you can just even ask them. I would ask my clients a lot. Like if there was silence, which silence isn't a bad thing. Silence sometimes can be really good because that means they're either thinking or deliberating something or something sinking in. If mm. the silence was a little too long, I would ask, what are you thinking? So, I mean, nice. it's not rocket science, but for her, it was a huge determinant because then she was like, all right, well, send me your resume. We'll call you for an interview. Never heard anything from her. Yeah. So, one, I'm going to go ahead and back you up. I've done a lot of hiring and firing over the years when I was in my corporate space. That's why small businesses should really hire HR agencies because that's, she's probably stepping some few boundaries that should not have been stepped. But hey, you know, I always say this, everything happens for a reason. 
you you would not have been successful in that environment because you need to be supported. You need to be you need to be uh, mentored properly and not have that kind of attitude. So. Yeah, and the place I did my student internship at, they actually wanted to hire me um, when my internship was over, but I still had a semester's worth of classes to take before I could graduate. Hmm. So they had to fill that spot. So, you know, yeah, I've just been waiting. But in the meantime, I've just been doing my personal training because the hours are flexible. I was going to say, I mean, is that, is that, was that a key trigger? You're like, we know, I already love my health, love my fitness, got into the, uh, well, you did the competitive stuff. What started doing that in 2014. Yeah. And the reason why I know that ladies and gentlemen, cause I'm going to go throw a screen share up again. Uh, that's right. She was published in strong fitness magazine. I'm an athlete who just happens to be blind. So just wanted <laughs> to do some screen sharing on there because I love when people get published in magazines. So congrats on that. And, Thank uh, you. And, and obvi- what's the name of the pup? Pixie. Pixie. That's a fun name. That's a fun name. Now, obviously, is that a full, fully trained seeing eye dog? Yes. All yes, right. she is. She's from Jersey. Yep. Jersey. Oh man, mm-hmm. I was born there. So, and, and people yeah. still people still actually want to talk to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so that so that obviously, what you're discovering about yourself is that obviously, listen, I still passionate about psychology is what I'm hearing, but. Hey man, I got to pay the bills. I got to take advantage of flexibility. If that happens, great. If not, who knows? You may literally, with all this side hustle, grow a more successful business doing this. I don't know. What what are you seeing right now? Literally seeing. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I think so. Because like I said, I barely started my business technically um, a year ago. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it was my final semester of grad school. Um, I needed some extra income because I was getting ready to go to my first national show in Miami, Florida, which is super expensive. Um, so I was like, I need to start making some money because who knows how long it's going to take before I find a counseling job. Cause it's competitive and it's mm-hmm. slim pickings down here in this area. So, um, and on top of that too, I was always getting asked by people for nutrition advice and training advice. And I just gave so much free shit away that actually worked for people. I was like, I should start charging. Well, so, that that and if if nothing else, make, make them at least get you a solid testimonial that you can eventually publish on a website, put on social media. So if you are going to give it away, at least get some long term well, value did. out of that. I actually had a friend who came to me and was like, "I'm just so unhappy with my body, but I can't afford a trainer and I can't afford this." And then I said, "Look, if you let me post some transformation pictures because I know that I can get you a transformation, I'll give you something." Smart move. So that's what I did. And then even when I, I first broadcasted that I was going to start my own training business, I put up, I put um, some feelers out there for what I call billboard clients. So I said, I'm going to ask two, I'm going to have two people be my billboard clients, meaning I will do your training plan, your nutrition plan. And if you want to come in for in-person training, I'll do that all for free for 10 weeks. But you have to follow everything to a T. And at any point, I feel like you're not holding up your deal. That's it. I'm done. Smart move. So I picked originally was going to only pick one, but then I realized, and then some people will say, well, maybe you're just a little pessimistic. No, I call myself a realist. I picked two because I knew one was going to fail. True. So, and sure enough, that's what happened. It's a law of uh, averages. One, yeah. One person really wanted it, got an amazing transformation off of her. I got paying clients and that's how it started. Because especially as a blind trainer, you have a little more to prove versus a sighted trainer. 
So um, I wasn't ignorant to that fact either. So results speak for themselves, though. And then anybody who comes in, in with me for a training, because like I get a lot of business by word of mouth, to be honest with you. Um, so people who call me don't even really know that I'm blind because people who are recommending me, that's not the first thing they think of me. They're just like, oh, Brittany's a trainer and she looks good. Like, call her up. They're not like. It well. does help if you're a product of the product, right? Yeah, uh, exactly. So these phone consultations that I have with people, um, sometimes at the end, I'll disclose I'm blind. Sometimes I'll just let them show up to their first session and then they find out. And I'm never really hesitant about that because I know once you come in with that first training session with me, you're fucking coming back because yeah. I'm a damn good trainer. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Own it. Own it. <laughs> yeah. So it, it just started like that. And um, it's really weird because sometimes I transition from because as, as you know, personal training, it's like it's inconsistent sometimes. Sometimes you have these spurts of like, you have so many clients, you don't even know what to do with your time. And then there's like moments like what we call dry spells, I guess, where they cut back because of holidays or, you know, having to fund kids stuff. Cause training, personal training is a luxury. It really is. Um, it is. It can be a little, it can be a little pricey. So that's another reason why online training is becoming so rampant is because one, it's a little more affordable. But number two, it's kind of fit to your schedule. Um, so every now and then, like, it's really weird. I'll have a huge influx of online training clients, but I'll cut my uh, in-persons will be kind of scaled down or it'll flip-flop. So right now I have more in-person than I do online, which is really weird. Um, mm. But even when I start working as a therapist, I even told my boyfriend this, I still want to do my online training because I can do that literally anywhere. Um, I just need a laptop or my phone to update meal plans, update training plans. That's the beauty of what you've started is that I am a fan. uh, I am not a fan of brick and mortar business. I've been offered that many times and I'm like, nah, I want to be able to run a business from anywhere. And there's nothing wrong with brick and mortar. I mean, who knows? You could build a practice one day or a a following to a point where you have to open your own facility. That's a possibility. But the uh, most successful fitness, I mean, I literally, my client is one of the world's renowned fitness trainers. He, he's Vinny Tortorich. He was the trainer to the stars of L.A. Um, he, his old brand was the celebrity fitness trainer. And that's what he did. He, he came from, like, Nowheresville, Louisiana, and built himself his own career, never worked for anybody. And he was all word of mouth and would go to people's homes, go to people's movies, you know, whatever, movie sites, wherever the fitness was needed to go on. And that's a how he built his trainer. That's yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, he's now 57 years old and, and we're launching his movie tomorrow and it's, uh, we crowdfunded it. There's all kinds of cool stuff going on. But anyway, point is if he can do it, anybody can do it. You just gotta be willing to put in the time, put in the effort. And if anything, nowadays, now you have the added benefits of social media and everything else. So when you get that free word of mouth, share it. Okay. Because I tell people all the time, if you can't sell yourself, how do you expect other people to sell it for you? Yeah. So. I mean, it's especially training. Cause it's like, you have to be a people person. Oh yeah. Um, if you're going to close a sale. So if you're going to be selling a new, tra- a meal plan or an online training package, you have to know how to talk to people, you know, how, have to know how to speak their language, put it in terms that they're going to understand, find their why and kind of lay it out for them. And same thing for training. Um, a good trainer will know um, a client's limits and be able to push them past those limits in a reasonable way. I can't stand people who train people who are new to fitness and then just kind of put them through the ringer and 
push them past the point of it's not even encouraging anymore. It's like making them feel like shit. Yeah, it's diminishing. Like, so you're setting them up to fail. And yeah, you want to push your clients, but you don't want to discourage them. That's not that's not the makings of a good client trainer relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that my psychology background has helped me with my clients, but I also think that when I do get back into counseling, that training people is going to help me with my counseling too, because they oh, kind of go yeah. hand in hand, they totally the physical do. and the mental. And I mean, I think I even learned that a lot about myself through bodybuilding, which is funny because like psychology, when I was, you know, doing my master's and doing all these things and getting really into the science and the philosophicalness of psychology is like, I learned a lot about myself more than anything, which is really interesting. But bodybuilding kind of just took it to a whole other level because when you're depleted from, you know, cutting carbs and doing cardio twice a day sometimes and then lifting, even when Mm -hmm. you have no energy and you still have life going on outside of that, your mind goes to some really dark fucking places sometimes. Yeah, I, so. I agree with you. I've, I've, I've not done uh, the fitness modeling or bodybuilding component, but every every person I've ever spoken with has always confirmed that, guys, you don't look like that 24-7, 365. And if you tried to, it's a very unhealthy lifestyle. Um, and you, and usually people have to push themselves to those extreme limits right before showtime. And it, it, it is a wear and tear on the body. So you have to allow that period of rest and recover and allow the body to heal and recover. And to your point, it is, there's a major mental load, major mental load. So it's, it's definitely, um, a, a great mission to tackle everybody I've ever spoken to about it. <laughs> uh, it, it, t- it shows you your new limits. So. Yeah, that's why they say that only like 5% of the population can do bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. So, and it's because of the mental side of it. And I actually did like my GRP, which is my graduate research project. So it's like a step below a thesis. So like a thesis, you write a proposal and then you do the study. For a GRP, you just write up the proposal, but you have to provide what instruments you would be using, what surveys you'd be using. You have to write up all the consent forms and everything. You just don't do the study. Mm. Um, So that's what I did. I did the GRP. And my GRP was actually on um, basically does bodybuilding cause mental and eating disorders or do people who already kind of have mental um, disorders and eating discrepancies gravitate towards bodybuilding? Interesting. So um, and basically it was the latter that people who kind of already have these tendencies tend to supplement supplement bodybuilding as a means of kind of rationalizing their their issues. It's well, not so much that bodybuilding, if you have the right um, mindset going into bodybuilding, you're going to come out of it just fine, yeah. maybe even better. But if you're using bodybuilding to hide something that isn't that you're, you know, that isn't healthy, um, it's just going to make it worse. Bodybuilding isn't going to fix your problems. No, it's yeah. not going to be this thing that turns your shit around it's really not. Well, it it's goes going back to, to if, if people have body image, self-image issues, uh, back to your point, if there is an eating disorder, I agree with you. I mean, if you can, I mean, to be fair, if it's spun the right way and you can come out of that with, with discovering what you're capable of doing in a positive, healthy way, but it does sound like it's probably few and far between. Um, you know, it doesn't sound like not everybody comes out of that mm-hmm. in, in a healthier mindset. 
a lot of that kind of goes with like who you pick to be your coach too because mm. um some coaches aren't really about healthy they're kind of about win at all costs yeah I they're about the records and then you have some coaches that are a little more evidence-based um that care about your health over everything and you know that's another thing too just like how you, you i told you to research your therapist if you're gonna go get mental health counseling if you're going to research your personal trainer, research, if you're going to do bodybuilding, research your coach, because just because they have people that are doing well, doesn't mean that they're doing it healthy because the way I see it, um, which has caused me to shift my focus and my, um, inner circle a lot Mm -hmm. as of lately, especially is competing is a fucking hobby. All right. There's very few people that make money off of bodybuilding then now you can hustle the hell out of yourself yes and you can open up like a training business like i did but the training business and things like that is what's going to make you money stepping on stage isn't going to make you money you spend money to get up there and do that and i think that people are disillusioned and above all else you know i say it's a hobby but really at the end of the day what do you get from it you get a trophy you have to do bodybuilding or anything in life like that, because you love doing it. You can't do it because you think you're going to be famous no. or because you're going to be the next big thing. And people get lost in that, I think, and they're willing to do whatever it takes, even if afterwards, when that's all gone, what are you left with? Some fucking trophies collecting <laughs> dust on your wall? Yeah, like, what, what'd you learn from it? What, what's the good you took uh, moving forward from all that, right? You know. And if you're not doing it healthy, you're not going to be able to sustain it long term, which means you're going to just be a picture of a good body. And then you're going to sit there completely looking different because your body just doesn't know what to do with itself. So yeah, there's that's a, kind of, there's yeah. a couple of podcasts that can reinforce everything you just said. Uh, I just got done looking for them because I couldn't remember which numbers, but I had a uh, Dr. Mimi Sakor. She's God, late fifties, sixties, hot. I mean, so she's representing, you know, you can age well in any age, but she's a nurse practitioner doctor and hardcore advocate for, uh, again, what she's learned through her daughter's bodybuilding experience, her own bodybuilding experience, the importance, like she's a big advocate for obviously fitness, moving the body, but also LCHF, you know, low carb, high fat. Uh, then I had on, um, here's this, this is what you just talked about, about sustainable healthy practices this guy's name is wade lightheart he was back on like 256 he talked about he made it to the mr universe level and dude he said afterwards he was so jacked up because he was doing all the wrong supplementation he said his gut health and gut biology was literally broken down and destroyed he had all kinds of gi side effects and everything else because he thought he was doing everything right and following all the coach's advice, and he was literally destroying his body from the inside out. It was pretty crazy. So it can get pretty hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. So even the most reputable, quote unquote, reputable coaches who have the records, mm-hmm. you really need to don't talk to them. Talk to the athletes who are with them and who used to be with them Ooh, to get their experience. And I wish I would have learned that sooner, but I've learned it now. Um, so for me, as of right now, where I'm at, um, I'm not going to compete again until 2020 because oh, I'm really trying compete. to, okay. yeah, I'm still going to compete. Um, cool. I love competing. Like I said, at the end of the day, you have to love doing it. Mm-hmm. And, um, I do want to get my pro card and be the first IFBB bikini pro who is blind. I really do. Okay. Um, 
I've always said, even when I first started in 2014, after I did my first show, because that's the thing about your first show. It's either some, your goal for your first show is just to do your first show because you're, <laughs> you don't know what to expect. You know what I mean? Yeah. You really don't. Um, so after you do your first show, it's either going to be something that you're going to be like, huh, that was fun. Never want to do it again. At least I have these pictures to show how good I looked. Or you're going to be like, I'm hungry for more. For me, I was hungry for more. Um, nobody ever thought I would have made it to nationals. And I don't say that because like, oh, I'm trying to make it seem like I was this underdog, like, you know what I mean? Like these freaking story, like, you know what I mean? This lifetime movie story, but nobody ever took me seriously enough to think I was going to make it to nationals. And for a while there, I didn't even think I was going to make it to nationals. And then I realized I'm my own worst enemy. If I don't believe it's going to happen, it's fucking not. Hmm. So, um, I worked really, really, really hard. One first place at a show that qualified me to go to nationals and went to my nationals and I didn't do badly. I definitely, I did clearly didn't get the pro card, um, but that's okay. Most people have to do a couple of national shows before they get the coveted pro card. Um, yeah, you, you got yeah. you got to show that you're actually in it for the long haul. They don't want to be just handing out pro cards and all of a sudden you drop away in a year or two, you know? Yeah, exactly. And for people who don't really understand what I'm talking about. So like for bodybuilding, there's the pro level and then there's the amateur level. Um, to be a pro, you have to, one, do a show that qualifies you to go to a national level competition. And then depending on the national level competition, you either need to get first or second place. Every Each one has its own rules to get a pro card. And then at the pro level, not only are you a pro, uh, you get to compete for money. And you also get to compete um, to go to the Olympia, which is like the Super Bowl of bodybuilding. Nice. So, um yeah. So for me, I've been to nationals, which means I won first place at a show to qualify me to be there. Um, at my national show, I, in my height class, so each, uh, except for bodybuilding, they go by weight. Um, but all the other divisions go by height. So they'll divide you into a height class. So I got, um, I, I was like in the middle of the girls in my um, height class. So there were 26 girls and I landed like maybe 18th place, which really isn't bad because if you think about it, for my first show, national show, everybody who looked there won a show mm-hmm. in their perspective states. So they all looked good. Nice. You know, they all looked amazing. Yeah, they earned um, they earned their way there. Yeah, no, nobody who's there got there by being lazy. Um, <laughs> so that, you know, <laughs> yeah. So for me, I'm taking some time off to really grow. Um, I need to grow in certain parts of my body, mostly my legs, because I'm a tall girl. I have giraffe legs. That's what I call them. What's your height? 5'8". Um, Oh yeah. 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 My yeah, wife's only, so, five, I'm six, four. My wife is five, four. So, so you get it being tall. Like your, your extremities are just longer than the average person. You probably have like an amazing reach. Like with your, yeah, arms. we were playing, yeah. we were playing water volleyball yesterday and, uh, everybody's like, his arms are so long. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I joke around. I call them ape arms. I, I have a, I, you know, if you were a, a suit guy, I literally have a 37 sleeve uh, for oh. length and most men Amer- most average american males are a 33 so is the yeah, average so shirt- i was spot on yeah, <laughs> yeah. so so we, we we can start a club we get it um, a support group <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it, it's when you're when your arms and your legs are that long it takes you a while to really get that girth of muscle because i always yeah. tell people it's kind of funny height really in bodybuilding really does have a lot to do with things um oh yeah your so muscles like- are stretched out over a longer distance on the bone so yeah so if you're short and you put on three even three pounds of muscle it's good that's gonna 
it's gonna you know it's gonna look even bigger mm-hmm. versus on a tall person so like if i were to put on three pounds of muscle you're gonna be like where yeah on a short person you're gonna be like oh yeah i see it so um for me i'm gonna take a, lo- a longer off season to really grow but um and actually nobody knows this so this will be the first time i'm even kind of somewhat publicly announcing it Ooh, um i'm actually going to do powerlifting. Um, yeah that a girl see i'm a huge i'm, yeah. I'm a, a cfl one <laughs> trainer so i'm a crossfitter so it's uh i'm a big proponent of either hey pick powerlifting, pick olympic lifting you know everybody's got their own style but like mix it up man like uh challenge your body it's it's all about uh well-balanced functional fitness like mix it up but powerlifting that'll make your legs strong yeah oh, yeah yeah so um i did my first powerlifting session last week and i'm only doing deadlift um deadlift category yep that's so, good for the butt yeah. And so, uh, yeah, definitely. I, I, I noticed, um, <laughs> cause I would deadlift for bodybuilding, but not that heavy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm going to do my first powerlifting meet in December. So I'm getting ready for that. As you get bigger, bigger into it, um, something common in my powerlifting friends circles is, uh, they like to start sharing on Instagram their new faces. So when you're getting close to those PRs, uh, start having somebody take like funny photos of the faces you make <laughs> on the different. I'm not kidding you. you. You can have a lot of fun with it, you know, since you're such a, a, a physically visible person, you know, you're very attractive. So it's like, hey, wait a minute. Let's post some really funny, cheesy lifting faces up. So just something to think about. So. Uh, we, yeah, we've had I can contests. only imagine. This yeah. is. Yeah, I know. I would have never thought about that, but I definitely am. Um, yeah. So like last Friday was my first, um, like just actual, cause you know, the structure of a, of a bodybuilding workout, there's so many different ways you can do that. Yeah. Everybody trains differently for bodybuilding. Um, I've always lifted heavy, you know, Good. even, building even, strength. you know, yeah. Even as a, as a bikini girl, oh, um, what happened to video. my video? Yeah. There we go. There Those we go. Darn iPhones. I know. It's not back yet. Let me see. It should. Oh, there we go. There she okay. is. Yeah. So even as keep a, going. As I want. I actually builder, wanted to screen share your Facebook page anyway for Blind Fury Fitness, but keep going. I'm listening. Okay. Um, there she is. Blind yeah, Fury. Yeah. I always. I always lifted heavy. Um, and now every every now and then, depending on like my level of soreness or how low my carbs were, yeah, maybe I'd lighten the load. But I would try to lift as heavy as I could for as long as I could until I couldn't anymore. Um, but, you know, there's so many different ways to train for bodybuilding. There's so many different ways to do your nutrition. But for powerlifting, like, you're going for the PR. You yep. know what I mean? Yeah. So Let's go um, big or go home. Yeah, I think the most I ever deadlifted, you know, was I was training for a show for bodybuilding was, like, maybe 185. Um, that was the most I ever deadlifted. And for my first day <laughs> last week, um, I did – Three sets of three reps at 250. <laughs> nice. I just got my, the screen sharing. We, we still have your video back, but keep going. I'm listening. I don't know why your video's I don't off. Know. I don't know either. It's weird. Let me see. Darn you, iPhone. There it goes. Okay. So you're already awesome. getting into the PR life. I like it. Yeah. And then, like, I actually looked up because I was curious. Um, like, what is going to be a good number for you know my pr for my weight class because i'm probably going to be um in the 132 pound class um okay and it said for like an elite 
power lifter in that class, you're usually lifting between 319 and 330. So I was like, not bad for day one. I'm already at 250. Yeah. So, and then being tall, that is more yeah. challenging for the, you have a high, you have a longer pull. So I, I haven't tested cause I've been doing so much bike training. I haven't tested a, a PR on a deadlift in probably over a year. My well, last, my, my, my last PR was 375. Coach, so yeah, well my powerlifting coach made a good point. So like for deadlift in powerlifting, um, you can pick whatever stance you want. So, oh yeah, a lot of people go wide. So yeah, so shorter people tend to do like your traditional Romanian kind of deadlift. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're tall, like me and you with long arms, you actually have an advantage if you're a, if you do a sumo, so a wider, mm-hmm. because your arms are so long, you have the leverage to pull that shit up. I've never done, I mean, unless we specifically were training a sumo move, I've always set my PRs, uh, classic Romanian. So I've always made myself work for it. <laughs> Yeah, so maybe try like your sumo because you might be able to actually add on some numbers because you have the leverage with your arms. Yeah, and I, I am adding more training back in again now that that now that, that race was done last weekend. My wife was like, "You leaned out too much." She's like, "You got to put." Some... <laughs> she's like, "You're already a tall, lean dude." Like she's like, "I was like, yeah, but that was I dropped ten pounds for this race because I'm like it was a hundred mile race that I was trying to do, and I'm like, dude, that's ten less pounds that I have to pedal." Through the wilderness mountains of Pennsylvania. Like, I'm good. Do you remember that movie, A Bug's Life? Uh, yes. I, I just think of that that's, that walking stick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I am still, I mean, normally I got to fight to break 195. I'm probably like, I'm back up to about 185 right now. And I'm six foot four. So, but I'm an endurance athlete. That's just the way I am. Even, even when I was wild and firefighting uh, nine years ago, I was, you know, I had a chainsaw on my shoulder. I had, you know, 40 pounds of gear in my pack. My legs were strong as hell. I never broke 195. I had to fight to keep weight on because we just, you know, we were hiking, you know, 10 to 16 hours a day. But, uh, yeah, it's just always been my magic weight range. So, yeah. Well, your metabolism is probably pretty quick because of the type of training and the type of work you've always done well and and the past two years i've i've full gone full bore into uh ketogenic training i was about to say that too oh yeah Yeah, your nutrition is i'm uh, dialed special yeah i tried keto before kudos to you it wasn't for me it's not really for everybody no Um, i mean i also thanks to me having a podcast i bring on like gurus and dna experts and like i've already done dna testing i've done next up is i want to get like a full-blown hormonal panel analysis because i just like to find out more about the body and now you know exactly what's supposed to work for you. So uh. I've been wanting to do that. But so like, as I told you, like I've, I'm in the process of, I, I recently switched coaches. Mm-hmm. So the coach I'm with now is a little more evidence-based and like, I'm eating more food than I've ever eaten before. And I still haven't gained weight. If you eat <laughs> the right food, you don't have exactly. The, the, yeah. the biggest problems are the excessive sugars and grains because grains are converted to sugars. And if your body can't handle it all, it stores it away in fat. I, I don't have any, I mean, I, I might, I, I'm, I don't have my abs popping this one, the second, you know, but it's like, okay, dude, there's no like fat. Like I'm not, <laughs> I don't have a fat. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I pick out dude. I'll crush multi steaks. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm a seg- I have my own, there's a local eatery near here. I have my own omelet. It's a six egg omelet stuffed with veggies, bacon, a side of bacon and, and smoked Gouda cheese. And I, they, they serve it and people looking at me and are like, that's not on the menu. I'm like, no, that's Scott's omelet. I've been ordering since, they, since <laughs> I've ordered it since they've opened it. The guy, the guy, when he first made it, didn't know how to make it because it was so big. 
So they served it on like a restaurant, like chef cutting board. Like it was like a three foot by two foot cutting board. I'm like, what the hell is this? You're embarrassing me. He's like, dude, I don't, he's like, it's so big. He's like, I don't know how to I mean, make it fit a plate. I mean, now three years later, he's figured it out, but. <laughs> you know, what's funny. There's a place here in town called Atomic Omelet that we used Ooh, to go to a lot. And um, it's really is good. And I actually ordered an eight egg omelet one time and they were like you're not gonna eat all that and I then bet. i ate it all and they came back they asked my boyfriend did did, did you help her with that and he's like nope well and also so like, obviously I, I didn't eat probably the rest of the day until the evening you know this is you know i don't eat like those things three times a day so yeah yeah for me we're what i'm learning about my body doing this different type of nutrition is that my body actually loves carbs mm. uh used to kind of keep them at a moderate level before and now it's pretty high. If I, if I have to say right now, I'm probably eating around 250 grams of carbs a day. Um, yeah. So for a female, that's usually not common, but what again, it's working. You're not chugging down ho hos. You know, oh, no, 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 no. I'm eating like I'm eating, you know, for <laughs> breakfast, I will have a bagel and some fruit. Even before bed, I'm having fruit and rice cakes with peanut butter. Yeah. And, See, the movie know, we I mean, have coming out tomorrow would blow your mind because that's completely opposite of what you just said. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like I said, I've tried keto and it wasn't for me, but I've seen. Oh, no, it's not about keto. keto. I've seen. Oh, really? It's, a, it's it a truth. Just the truth about healthy fats. It's actually called fat a documentary it's releasing on itunes vimeo that's a that's phase one of the movie release we've been we crowdfunded this thing uh, all last year i ran all the marketing for it so uh i mean it's got world-renowned doctors and and researchers but it's about teaching people the impacts of excessive carbohydrates and and grains on on the human body and why fat got a really bad rap and why you know avocados are good for you unless you have an allergy or olive oil is good for you oh i've you know even my clients i tell them i don't believe in anything's really bad unless it's like processed right like sugary <clears> stuff <throat> but if it comes from the ground like avocados like i fucking love avocados. i eat avocados oh, yeah. i'll right crush now. the avocado yeah. you need you need um healthy fats yes. they're for your hormone balance there, I don't believe, see there and that's I a big yeah. part of the movie as well people don't understand like leptin and ghrelin are your hunger hormones they're actually most stimulated yeah. by excessive sugars and grains and manufactured crap so the best way to stabilize that is as you just hinted at whole foods whole fats you know fats are stabilizing so yeah yeah so like for my approach for my because that's a big thing i get asked too is like so what type kind of diets do you put your clients on well first of all i don't believe in the word diet i don't like diet that either imp- lifestyle diet yeah diet implies <laughs> that something's going to be taken away from you you're going to be miserable it's temporary blah 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 blah, blah. no i believe in nutrition you there know you feeding your body the right things feeding your body what it deserves so i always give my clients moderate to high protein because most people are not eating enough protein oh i'm a, um, i mean i should say i'm more of a carnivore keto if you want to call it that way because i crush the meat yeah so. so you're you're a person who does keto the right way because <laughs> what i'm seeing a lot of is people who are doing quote-unquote keto and they're doing it the wrong fucking way the stupid yeah. way well yeah um, it's just like when paleo became a thing everybody started bastardizing it it's like guys like it's this is this is technically if you look at paleolithic era you ate what was available it was okay if it was if there was no fruits and vegetables nearby you were eating a lot of meat a lot of you know animal fats, animal meat. Like that's what was it. That was what paleo was started as. And then everybody starts creating paleo baked goods. I'm like, dude, you're manufacturing something. That's not. If it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. Boom. So, yeah. So, you know, so keto gets a bad rap, I think, because of people doing it wrong. So 
Yeah. So you're a person who at least eats your protein, which is going to sustain your muscle mass, which isn't going to make you look. And I, I, you know, I may sound like a bitch for saying this. You're not going to look skinny fat. No. Um, and there is a lot of skinny fat. <laughs> I have friends that are skinny fat. That's very, very true. It, it's a, it's a real thing. Um, like I have, a, yeah, buddy, so, I have a buddy of mine. He barely works out, but because he crushes his carnivore lifestyle, dude, the guy looks good. Like he's got retained, he's got lean muscle mass. Like, well, that's another <laughs> thing too. People don't understand is like, 70% of your fitness is your nutrition. Your exercise is maybe 30, the 30%. Yeah. Now that also can be dependent on how sedentary, sedentary you are throughout the day. So like if you sit at a desk all day, you know, you yeah. could benefit from at least two to three days of exercise, you know, but yeah, you got to move, move the body. Got to move. Yeah. If you're a person that moves around a lot at work and stuff and then, yeah, you can get away with just eating the right things mm -hmm. and lose weight or maintain and look healthy. But yeah, so people ask me, like, do you believe in low-carb, zero-carb, high-fat? I'm like, I just believe in balance. Mm -hmm. That's really what I believe in. That's a, that's um, a very fair statement. I tell people all the time, I agree with you about the diet word. I actually, I use this for yourself. I say, stop using that bad four-letter words. I was like, you could say you could say shit, you could say fuck, I don't care about that, but like, stop saying the word diet. It's a bad four-letter word because, back to your psychology knowledge— it, it it has literally been designed and indoctrinated into our, uh, us as a short-term mindset. Even the magazines, like they refer to like, oh, here's the new fad diet. It's nothing long-term. Yeah. You need a sustainable lifestyle. What can you sustain over a long period of time? So Well, because people really aren't thinking about sustainability. They're thinking about quick. Yeah. So but Everybody what people don't understand now. is that when you – crash diet like that you're not only going to gain the weight back fairly quickly oh, yeah. uh, you're probably going to gain back twice as much and you're really like hurting your body that way mm -hmm. um on top of that too people don't seem to understand it's easy to gain weight like it's hard to lose it mm -hmm. so I, I find it very funny when people come to me and you know they've been eating like shit a majority of their lives or even eating like shit for six months straight and then two weeks later they're like why am I not 10 pounds lighter or yeah. 20 pounds lighter? I'm like, well, you can't undo a six month period of eating like shit no. and it, expect that to go away in 10 days. And like especially people who had it for years. There's a term I learned from some biologists and I loved it. They said, listen, some people are metabolically broken and it takes, the body can heal. It can recover. But depending on the lifestyle you just hinted at, you may need more, more time than others. Most people that I've ever done uh, body transformation work with, uh, lifestyle transformation work, like as far as my fitness standpoint and the nutrition, I tell them, like, don't even bother expecting to work with me unless you're willing to work with me for like 16 weeks. They're like, well, that's four months. I'm like, yeah, because we need to establish a foundation. <laughs> I mean, I was like, I, I'm trying to teach you that it's not, oh, I'm going to kick ass for the next 30 days and be ready for the beach. That's not realistic. Yeah. There's nothing you have sustainable. to instill habits. Like kind of like in, in talk therapy, I was saying coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. You have to figure out what's going to work to keep your anxiety at bay, to keep help you figure out how to cope with a panic attack. Same thing for nutrition. You have to figure out what works for you. Your coach, even if your co if someone is doing your nutrition for you, they're not going to learn your body in a week. No, they have to see because like that wasn't so. Going back to my what I do with my clients, so how I said balance, you know, moderate to high protein, and then as far as your healthy fats and your good carbohydrates, those tend to be the two things I manipulate the most because some people do respond to more carbs and less fat or moderate fat, not zero fat because mm -hmm. you need those for hormone balance. Um, and then I have clients who it's the opposite. They respond to high fat and moderate carb. 
Um, so everybody's body really is different. So like you were saying, you were going to go get one of those tests done to see what it is really that your body craves and what it needs and what it benefits from the most. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a really good thing to get. I personally haven't gotten one. I want to go get one done, but just by trying a different approach this time with this new person doing my nutrition, um, I'm learning quite a bit, you know? Cool. Um, so but yeah, so like I don't believe in a diet. I don't believe in zero anything. I just believe in balance and not everybody is the same. And even then, um, what worked for you five, ten years ago isn't always going to work for you because your body composition is always changing. As we get older, our home hormones are always changing. Well, the biggest thing um, for weight loss, weight gain is hormones. That you got to figure exactly. out the hormone balance. That's it, or reprogramming or whatever it is in your life cycle. That's the biggest thing. Like you could take all the science out of the equation. It's like, dude, if you could figure out what is jacking your hormones up, down, all over the place, that's boom. You've just hacked a big part of the equation. And or even stress. Well, because, again, because uh, yeah. cortisol levels cortisol. affect your yeah. hormone balances. <laughs> See, it's all tied together. <laughs> it's it's a never ending circle. Yeah, it's awesome. I just so I just realized we go on major long form tonight. I love all of our chatting because we're coming up on almost an hour and a half, ladies and gentlemen. We've only done this a few times on the show, but you have such a gift for the gab. That's why you're on a podcast right now, and we have so much crap to talk about. It's awesome. I love this. I'll so. just have to come back again. There you go. Darn. Oh well. <laughs> well, you do have you do have a lot to talk about. And I'm excited for you. So, uh, actually, let me do one more screen share because I just I did just share this. But, ladies and gentlemen, I've, I love the logo you had designed. Uh, you love your sparkles and fire. Uh, Blind Fury Fitness at, at a Corpus Christi. Now, because we have the power of digital media nowadays, are you just targeting local, or are you also considering doing some digital uh, coaching? Like online I coaching. do do so uh, I do do online uh, training for out of town clients too. Good. So smart I've move. had Very smart people in um, Virginia. I've had people in other states. I mean, other cities here in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had somebody in Washington before. I am trying to really branch into out of state. Yeah, there's no because, excuse now. There's yeah. You could do this. Just, you could have a Zoom call like we're doing today, and boom, done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So no, I'm not exclusive to Texas or my area. That's the beauty of online training. You can be anywhere. You just check in with me uh, once a week because yeah. I do weekly updates for most of my package bundles, just depending. Uh, but yeah, if anyone's ever interested, I always tell them, give me a call. Um, your consultation's free. We talk about 30 minutes, figure out what it is that you want. I'll recommend what I think would be good. We talk about what's in your budget, um, things like that. There you go. I like it. Well, and one last plug for Maxwell Ivy. Uh, yes, again, thank you, Max. Max is the man. Uh, again, theblindblogger.net is his site. He does have his own podcast because Brittany was just aired on July 8th for What's Your Excuse, his podcast. So, uh, again, some more more love there. So you're, you're getting out there. I like it. How many podcasts now once this one's done? Uh, this is my fourth. So I did Max was my first. And then um, there's actually a local podcast here in Corpus at a bar every Saturday. It's called Dudes (laughs) at the Bar. Um, Dudes at the Bar. Okay. Yeah, Dudes at the Bar. Uh, A photographer friend of mine, Philip, he hosts that podcast. And it's literally him and then his friend Selena and two other dudes who work at that bar. Cool. Um, just talking about random things. So I've been on there twice and they pretty much just told me like, you don't even have to ask, just drop in There you go. <laughs> whenever it's every Saturday. 
So I did two with them, and then your so yours is my fourth. Awesome. And I actually really enjoy doing these. Um, somebody told me I needed to like do my own, but I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. Maybe, maybe in a few months when I, I get don't more don't rush it. There is yeah. thousands of new podcasts every freaking day, so exactly. I always tell people like I waited and like I was a I was a voracious consumer, and uh, and actually I launched my show three years ago this September when I met Max because. Um, I went to the Mid-Atlantic Podcast Conference, which I'll be speaking at again this year. And I know Max came again last year, so I'm hoping he's coming again this year. He spoke last year, too. So Max is awesome, but I one thing I've learned over the years is like, it eventually got to the point where I'm like, man, there's so many good podcasts, but there's also a lot of shitty podcasts. And I was like, I've got something to share. You know, My keyword is fuel. I want to fuel people's health, their nutrition, their fitness, that healthy lifestyle, sharing some of the entrepreneurial stuff like you just shared today. So it's like, dude... Let's rock a show, you know, and the rest is history. <laughs> but wait until it feels right. Or if you start getting that itch and you just got to scratch it. That's how I looked at it. So, yeah. For now, I'll just enjoy being a guest. <laughs> and honestly, that's all you can do. I keep telling people all the time, like, guys, podcasts aren't slowing down. It's a great medium. This is free content, ladies and gentlemen. Like, she took time out of her evening. I took time out of my evening to record. And now this is evergreen content for you as you grow your brand because – it's always going to be there unless for some reason I went online and deleted everything off, which I don't do that. I'm a marketing professional. Why would I do that? <laughs> so, well, listen, Brittany, I've had a blast. Um, but all of my guest co-hosts, I asked them to help close the show out. And this is not a huge deal, but it's like, you know what? You've shared so much today. Is there something kind of all encompassing that kind of sums you up or, you know, it's kind of like your bigger picture, your bigger mission that you want to leave behind for the listeners that say, Hey, you know what? This is Brittany, man. This is where I'm going. This is what I want to do. I don't know. All-encompassing message you want to share? I think it just comes back to something simple, um, you know, that I had mentioned in one of my interviews uh, for a magazine that I did. Uh, it's called Center Stage Magazine. Okay. Um, and it's very simple. It's three words. Find your why. I think for anything in life, whether it's your fitness, uh, your career, uh, friendships that you're um, maintaining or thinking about cutting off, a relationship, taking a leap of faith and starting a new business venture, just anything in general, I think you should always find your why because that's going to give you the answers that you're looking for and help dictate your decisions moving forward. I love it. We've talked about the why many, many times in this show. So you've just aligned yourself quite well, because if you don't know your why in life, uh, figure it out. It'll help drive so much change and so much positive movement forward. It's ridiculous. So uh, I give you a resounding yes. I completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's a hang tight. I want to give you a proper goodbye off the air. Ladies awesome. and gentlemen, that was Brittany Culp. All right, Blind Fury Fitness. Check her out on the Instagram. Check her out on the Facebook. You can like and follow her. You can do all the online stalking that everybody does to this day. Uh, and then, yes, uh, once this airs, you'll be able to go read up on her on the blog article, watch her on YouTube, and obviously share, because sharing is caring, this podcast with many, many other people, ladies and gentlemen. So thanks for listening in. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Brittany Culp. She's definitely here to help fuel your health, your business, your lifestyle. We've done that today. Yes. Remember, you too can live the fuel, ladies and gentlemen. Brittany is.
We'll talk to you guys again soon. Thank you for subscribing to Live the Fuel. Stay connected on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Live the Fuel. And remember, you too can live the fuel. So please visit us at livethefuel.com. Thank you.